0: White Hot Magazine of Contemporary Art. (music) Alyssa Monks is an artist that joins us today on the White Hot Magazine Art World Podcast. I'm your host, Noah Becker, the curator of Alyssa Monks' exhibition at SLOMA, Chief Curator Emma Saperstein will be the guest host, talking to Alyssa about her exhibition at the museum that is on now through November 13th, 2022. Depicting the artist and those closest to her in intimate context, Monk's paintings are simultaneously vulnerable and elusive, revealing her subjects in exposed positions but offering fragmented views through compositions that invert foreground and background. Using semi-transparent filters of glass, vinyl, steam, water, or foliage, Monks creates surface tension that obscures subjects and disorients the viewer. Enjoy the following conversation between Alyssa Monks and Emma Saperstein on the White Hot Magazine Art World podcast.
1: Um... Well, I was thinking we could just start with chatting a little bit about how the show at the San Luis Obispo Museum of Art came to be. Um, wow. obviously when you were here, you were sharing how it was sort of landing for you to re-engage some of these older works and have them collected in the same space and the same energy. And so I was wondering if you could just sort of speak to that, speak to your experience, seeing some of these works that you hadn't seen in you know, a decade. I mean,
2: I have to say it's still happening. Like I, I know I've been I've been home now for a week, I think at least, right? Mm-hmm. Um a week and a half, but it's still like kind of landing on me. And I'm still thinking about these, these older paintings and standing in front of them, particularly skin, which is the first painting. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe because it is such a clear well of all of the self portraits I can I have done it's one of the clearer ones they're mostly obfuscated and there's a reason for that mm-hmm. um, but uh, it's it's strange I mean there there's a tv series I watched during the pandemic during the lockdown um, called dark it's a german series I don't know if you've heard of it but I got so into this series and really was like uh even like listening to podcasts about it and analyzing it and one of the things that happens in it is the characters go back in time or forward in time and they confront their past self or their future self um and it felt like that it felt like confronting my past self and it was so like it was so much more startling than i expected i have to I mean, I really don't tend to have much attachment as maybe one would think Mm -hmm. um, to paintings once they've gone. I mean, I've made probably 300 or so paintings in my career, which um, is not even a lot for somebody at this point in their career, but it's enough that you can be like, oh yeah, I remember that. I haven't thought about that one. And since I made it. <laughs> you know, it's like there's a there's a lot of work out there. Yeah. But um, but that one, it really kind of arrested me. And I I've always liked it. I always was was happy with the way it came out and I was happy with the process of making it, which for me is is the most important part, like the way it was made, the the challenges I had and the way I dealt with them. And you know, there were a couple of different portraits that were on that painting. And a lot of different solutions I had to to come up with to get to the final result. But I guess the reason why it keeps sticking out to me is because after the um, after the, the opening, we, we did a luncheon and I talked to one of the guests there. And he said, at first he was so um, he was kind of maybe even like turned off by the amount of self-portraits that I make. uh-huh huh. And he was kind of like, oh look at this artist so self-absorbed or whatever. And I had to laugh because it's it's like, yeah, I guess I could see where that comes from. And admittedly, I worried about that early on when I was painting all these self-portraits. I was like, oh my God, I look like I'm so conceited or something, but um, there's no glamor paintings of Mm me where I look like some kind of idealized uh, super hot model or something um it's it's really like an attempt and and this changes for throughout the the 20 or so 25 30 years I've been painting but at that point when I made that painting I was in my mid to late 20s I was still very insecure as a person I still was like unsure of if this painting career was going to work out I was in a difficult relationship that was causing me a lot of stress. Um, I was living in an apartment that had maybe four electrical outlets in the whole place. It's constantly uh, blowing fuses. I was heating it with my oven. Um, and I, w- you know, I looked back at this, this 28 or version, 28 year old version of myself. And I could see everything in that portrait of like trying to kind of get a hold of myself. Mm-hmm. trying to like see myself mm-hmm. and like who am i and what am i doing and all of the all of the apprehension that i had but forging ahead but like insisting on this path even with all of the like reasons to not do it and i felt a couple of things looking back i felt like first of all, i felt a lot of compassion for her um which i did not feel at any point for myself at that time But uh, at this point I did, I felt like compassion for that younger version of me and also like this um, kind of respect in a way, like good job. You stuck it out. Um, And then even like this sort of envy Mm -hmm. that, you know, when you're starting and you're young and like, you don't have far to fall and you're. You, you just are forging ahead with this kind of relentless energy. Like that that's so powerful. It's like having a tiger by the tail. And, uh, and you're always trying to get back to that for the rest of your career. It's, um, it's, it's interesting. So I, I think that was the most impactful piece for me. Mm-hmm. And it's the, the oldest one.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. Your comments about, um, self-portraiture yeah you know, uh, a little over a year ago, we did a show with a British artist, William Brickle, and um, he typically only paints his own likeness. I mean, the figures are really sort of um, obscured, abstracted, but in terms of his own face, he typically only puts his own face on his, um, on his paintings, and, and he was sharing that he feels like in some ways, and of course, you paint other models, and um, there are plenty of paintings that you've done that are, are not of your own likeness. Um, but he feels like it's the arena of sort of portraiture that he has the most authority over. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so that's why he makes those choices. So yeah, I think it's interesting, those comments from, from somebody at, at lunch.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think also it comes from a tradition of, um, you know, in painting, generally though, the woman, the, f- the female is the model and the male is the painter. Mm -hmm. and this is a long, long tradition, so from a male perspective, to paint yourself is really strange, Mm -hmm. and from a female perspective, it's not, because Mm -hmm. we've seen ourselves depicted in paintings, and to be able to do it on your own terms is kind of empowering, is kind of awesome. Also, I think women are much more used to objectifying themselves, Mm -hmm. and this was a way to kind of come to terms with objective, being object objectified and, Mm -hmm. you know, seeing yourself objectively over and over again. I mean, if you ask any woman of, you know, our generation and older, I think the younger generations are much healthier in this regard, but we are constantly like assessing ourselves from the outside. Mm -hmm. And so as a painter, it kind of makes sense to do that. And then the other piece of it that I, I thought was relevant is if you think of like music, you know, like, like lyricists and songwriters Mm -hmm. often write from the first person, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: even if it's not about them. Mm -hmm. And in a sense, painting a self-portrait is kind of the same in that you're you're speaking in the first person Mm -hmm. by using yourself, you know? Mm
1: -hmm.
2: So I, I like that. I mean, I totally own it. I don't feel any kind of um, fear about it anymore. I just decided at some point, like hey, this is working, don't mess it up. And decided I'm not gonna really care about what, what the criticism is on that. If someone doesn't totally get it, it it's fine.
1: Yeah, yeah. I wanna um, sort of jump off your comment about empowerment that you um, sort of were empowered by painting, painting these, um, these images of yourself and um, draw attention to a conversation that I had sort of already shared with you when, we, um, when you first saw the show. About um, that piece called Scream, which I think is a 2010, 2011 um,
2: sounds right, yeah,
1: 11 piece. Um, And within the museum and the museum staff, we had sort of three different sort of gutturals, sort of without bringing a lot of criticism onto our minds, reaction to that piece. And of course I had seen it, I'm not in person, but I had seen images of it as we prepared for the show. And, you know, one staff member was like, oh my God, this, this woman, this figure is in such distress and has experienced such violence. And that is so obvious, obvious and was so palpable to her. Um, and then to me, you know, I, I felt like it was a, um, that the figure in the image is um, fogging the screen or fogging the mirror. Um, or fogging the shower, <laughs> um, uh, and somebody else felt like she was in great ecstasy, great pleasure. And um, during your artist talk, we talked about sort of that, in many ways, the sort of openness of your work that um, people are able to see, and this is true for sort of lots, of, lots of contemporary art, but um, see sort of what they see in the work. Um, can you speak to how those interpretations land for you or whether you enjoy them or resist them or,
2: I think that's one of the coolest things um, that art can do is it, you know, if you think of it like an open circle where you're leaving a little piece of the story out for the viewer to complete, um, to finish in a way they can bring their own experience and their own interpretation or. Their own real story to the the painting and they kind of link up and created a whole different experience or, or narrative. I think that's fascinating. The first time it happened to me was in my own in my own work anyway was when I painted this portrait of my mom and it was in my studio and it was finished and I you know had it up on the wall for a while and uh, Sometimes I would come in and it would look like she was like mad at me (laughs) or like disappointed or something. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And then other times I swear I would look at it and it looked like she had like a lot of compassion and she was like concerned and, you know, really curious about what was wrong, what's wrong, Alyssa, you know. And those are very different readings of the same exact painting. The only thing that was changing was me. Mm -hmm. you know and my my mood so it doesn't even matter like it's not even just the person it's where the person is in that specific moment that can adjust the way they see a painting Mm -hmm. and if it can work like that on a painting it could work like that on so many things you know a a person a a conversation uh you know interpreting i don't know social situations activism laws politics all kinds of real world stuff, Um, it, it's kind of a little jarring to realize like, oh, wow, there is no actual fixed reality that we all agree on after all. Um, And I like playing with that in terms of our, you know, the, the the way we can influence our perception by, Mm -hmm. you know, just withholding a little bit of clarity. Um, and even if you give 100% clarity, like I, I assure you, even if there was no glass, no steam, no water droplets, no distortion, total clarity of the portrait, there would still be different interpretations.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting, too. And and I, I will always remember early in my undergrad, I was um, in an art history class where um, my professor was talking about a painting that he had in his home and how his relationship to this painting and his interpretation, his understanding of it, and even his knowledge of it in terms of just noticing what was there um, had changed and grown and developed over the sort of 30 years that he had owned that piece and lived with that piece. And I think one of the things that's really um, particularly interesting about your work, but I suppose it's true for um, all artists also, is that the paintings left your studio, they left your care and that was over 10 years ago in some cases. Um, and so even your sense of what the work is about, um, I'm sure has continued to shift and then reseeing them in this context, um, I'm sure brought new meaning as you've already shared. Oh, absolutely. It's, I mean, I work very subconsciously so
2: and intuitively. So I kind of go with my impulses of what I can sense looks um, pleasing or interesting. And then, and I'm not trying to interpret it. I'm just going with like this aesthetic kind of visual puzzle and putting together, trusting that at the end I'm gonna I'm, something will come out from from that honesty and that um, you know rawness. And it and it usually does. <laughs> Sometimes I look back and I'm like, whoa, holding in a little. Um, um, but but I think what's what's interesting too about this open ended kind of narrative is that's that's more close to reality about the way things are things t- tend not to be as much as we wish they would things tend to not be black and white you know a person's experience of one thing can be many things
0: mm-hmm. you know
2: like say that picture we're talking about the scream say that is about a a, a shower experience that is sexual mm-hmm um, that experience itself can be many things. It can be pleasurable at times. It could be terrifying, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe it is uncomfortable sometimes. Maybe it was boring at a time and she was fogging up the mirror. And I think that, you know, our, our brains and our culture and our media for sure all want to create these like solid boundaries around things and be like, this is this one thing and you can't move it. Like it's only interpreted one way, but realistically speaking, there's a lot of different ways to see the same thing. And I personally think we would be healthier if we knew that and, and embraced it. Mm-hmm. You know, there could be a lot more um, commonality discovered and communication that was allowed if we allowed the nuance of interpretation and understanding of, mm-hmm. um, of different perceptions. Mm-hmm. We're really far from right now. It's just uh, kind of a hopeless cause. But mm-hmm. in painting, on the other hand, uh, I think to stretch it out and really let that be an important part of the process is, is, is valuable.
1: Mm-hmm. We've spoken a little bit um, about how uh, uh, each painting, particularly in the retrospective at Sloma, feels um, like a little bit of an experiment, a challenge to yourself, both, um, I suppose, technically, but also conceptually um, that you work towards and then you set it aside and move on to the next one. Um, I'm wondering if you can reflect a little bit about this element of experimentation um, in your practice.
2: Yeah, you know, this is um, this is kind of a mindset that I feel the most um, empowered by and free to, to make the work I want to make and not put too much pressure on it. I, I use the the phrase like, yeah, this is just an experiment. This is just a test. See how it goes. Try this because it allows you to not overthink it and to just kind of, um, make something without the stakes being so high. And then, um, you know, there's no added pressure of like, well, if this is bad or does it come out to be, you know, my best painting ever, like, oh, they're all going to hate me. And my career's over. I, I mean, it's, some artists really can get very worried about how their work is received. And and like, I, I don't want to be in, in that position because it's very difficult to work like that. So I, um I always just set up these little like experiments. Like, I wonder what this will look like if I did this. And and when I start to work on it, it gives me ideas of different colors and different shapes and different, you know, uh, compositional um, organizations.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
2: then, and then I'm just kind of following a whim. Like I just wonder what it's gonna be like. And then, it, yeah, that's kind of what you're looking at is a series of um, different ideas that occurred to me and my snippets of those little tests that I did. Um, And the the show that you did, it really highlights like all of those little experiments I did uh, with the water. Mm -hmm. Um, There's Vaseline, there's vinyl, there's shower doors, there's underwater, there's outside water, lake water, swimming pool water. it kind of touches on all of these um, different things i experimented with. Uh, Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I think that the the sort of the broadness of your practice in terms of sort of how many works you've made, you said over 200, maybe 300, um, made that um, a fairly sort of straightforward process because there was so much to choose from. And of course, the, the exact works that we have in the show, there's a magic that um, those were the specific pieces that arrived at the museum at that specific time, um, but um, I think you you, the sort of extensiveness of your practice made my job um, pretty easy <laughs> <laughs> in many ways. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about uh, your earliest experiences painting. I know you started at a very young age. Oh wow. Um,
2: so I had this mother who was so awesome in that she would try to find something for each of us. I you know, I'm the youngest of eight. And she tried to figure out uh, like the thing that each of us loved to do and make sure we had enough of that in our lives. So you know, I had a brother who danced and another brother was really into computers, and one was really athletic, and um uh you know, and so each kid would go off to their thing, and and I guess my kindergarten teacher told her that I could stay in the lines really well, and she should put me in a painting class. So <laughs> my mom had this way to, and I guess partly it was the eighties. So it was like, I don't know, there were any kids oil classes, but she didn't put me in like a kid's art class outside of school, which is what I think would be the instinct. And I know there must've been like regular classes for art, but maybe they didn't have oil painting, which is, you know, cause it's such a messy, expensive, permanent, <laughs> problematic, uh, hobby to have for like an eight-year-old or six-year-old but um she did she found an oil painting class and got me into it and it was all grown-ups and it was at the it was in the attic of this barn and uh it was really like falling apart kind of situation kind of dark and musty upstairs and quiet like there's you know serious painters up there mm-hmm. and I remember walking up there and the smell of the linseed oil like this Old, old linseed oil. And it was just like, oh, wow, this is new. I like this. Mm -hmm. And being told how precious these paints were like, you know, this is serious. This is very permanent. You know, don't waste it. Uh, Don't get it all over yourself. And they were like, let's see what she does. Um, And I just really, really loved it. I mean, my mother told me at some point she was trying to sign me up for like horseback riding or something like that. And I was like, I don't want to do this. I want to go to painting class. Uh, it's all I wanted to do. And um, it was kind of funny because the teacher would always paint on our paintings
1: mm-hmm.
2: and then we take them home. And my parents must've been like, oh my God, we have a genius on our hands, like the six-year-old child, it's making like really good landscape paintings. Um, but, uh, they figured it out and they were like, okay, stop painting on her paintings. <laughs> and sure enough, it looked like a, a kid's, the kid's painting again. Mm-hmm. Um, but I stuck with it. I mean, I really, I probably still even have that old, some of those old paints, you know, it was, it was really, really old, old paints. They do last, last forever. Um, but yeah, and then all through, um, my young adult life and high school life and college, I would always find a way and a place and time to keep painting. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: It became my thing. And I kind of liked that no one else I knew was doing it. Mm
1: -hmm. And it was,
2: it was like my little thing. I didn't think I was particularly good at it, Mm -hmm. which is my little. It's
1: hilarious now. (laughs) I
2: really wasn't. I mean, you could, if I showed you those paintings, you'd be like, yeah, I don't know, but. (laughs) the, the thing is the sheer volume of it. And I think you, you know, you've probably heard this before is that with um, people who are successful at a certain skill, it's not that they've succeeded more than anyone else. It's that they failed more than anyone else mm-hmm. and kept going. And so I've, I just made so much work that I had to learn something at some point along the way. Mm-hmm. And um, eventually it, it worked out, but there's there's a lot of old paintings that it's just, Yeah, I I can't even believe how much time I spent on it being so horrible at it for so long, Mm -hmm. but, uh, I, I
1: really loved it
2: I just found a home in it, you know?
1: Do you remember the first painting that you completed as a kid that was like, yes, this is a paint, this is a good painting.
2: Oh yeah. Um, for sure. I mean, like, you know, probably it wasn't until I was in high school that I was, angsty enough and um had enough uh I have an attitude problem and drama kind of stuff that I was making work that felt like important to me. Mm-hmm. You know, and I didn't think it was good. I felt that I felt like it was, you know, telling the story of what I was trying to tell, like it was expressing this thing in me. And um it's actually kind of funny. I never thought of good as being a a metric that was important at all. I just wanted it to be true and feel good, you know, and feel like accurate. And there was a painting, I called it Girl in the Box. Oh my God, it's so embarrassing. Uh, portrait <laughs> and I did it in front of a mirror mm-hmm. in my parents' basement and I worked on it like over and over and just repainted it over on top, of on top of layer on top of layer. But, um, What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Confronting the viewer really directly and um, with no expression. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that was the first time I was like, I don't know. I just felt like um, there's something that felt so good about I don't know what it was. I'll still never be able to express it properly. It felt so good to organize all the thoughts in my head into an image and then have it just there and not inside me anymore, but on the outside Mm -hmm. and people could look at it and I could look at them looking at it. You know, I didn't have to be that girl in the painting. Now I could be outside of it. Mm -hmm. um but yeah it was it was all always this convoluted way of trying to escape myself Mm. get outside of myself was really the effort get away from myself by putting myself in paintings and then they can that's where myself could live and then I could be free (laughs) um but uh but eventually I had therapy so it all worked out (laughs) uh uh,
1: Do you know where that painting is now? Does it still exist? Is oh a-
2: God, I sold it. That was the first painting I ever, I ever sold. Well, second painting I ever sold. And uh, I sold it to my manager at Barnes & Noble. I worked at Barnes & Noble in high school okay. and I have no idea where he is anymore <laughs> and don't even really remember his full name. So probably it's a lost cause, but oh, I think the frame, the frame on the painting costs more than what he gave me. <laughs> painting, so that sounds about
1: right. <laughs> um, You've talked a little bit about these early experiences in painting classes, and then of course now you have um, a really generative teaching and mentoring practice. Um, can you talk about how those, that, you know, your painting, your studio practice, and your teaching mentorship practice, how those sort of exist in the same space and how you see them overlap or connect?
2: Yeah, you know, I keep never um, not surprised by how important my community is to me and my students are to me. Um, For some reason, I always had this story in my head that this was a very solipsistic existence, being an artist. But time and time again, I feel deeply energized and inspired by other artists and by my students. And I was a very reluctant teacher. I really did not have any, and um, it wasn't until some of my friends slash people who just liked my work, actually one of them bought a painting. That's how I knew her. Uh, They got together and they invited me over their house and we had some wine and, and then they got their painting supplies out and they're like, just do a little demo for us. And, you know, next thing you know, I'm teaching Mm -hmm. and we made it a regular thing and then invited other people. And one thing led to another where I felt this desire to get them to the place where, you know, they felt like I felt like when I was learning, like, oh my God, I can't believe I can do this. And paint is cool and look what paint can do. And, um and just kind of coach them along and, and show them things that, that I, took, I had to learn the hard way sometimes. And, um, and I just get such a thrill from watching that evolution happen you know in, in someone else. So I tend to lean on that as a way to keep myself feeling excited. If I, if I feel like I'm not learning anymore in my own practice, it's a good place to go. And to be honest, I don't think I would be able to do an interview like this um, if I hadn't had a lot of teaching experience, because I'll tell you when I finished graduate school at 20, I was 23. When I finished graduate school, I was still so shy, Mm -hmm. so like insecure, so self-conscious, kind of aloof. Like I didn't, I was so embarrassed (laughs) uh, about like just saying hello to somebody and I don't belong here. And so teaching really gave me a common ground to 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 talk with others about and learn how to connect with people, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's it's really important to me. I really do. Um, I do think it it it's a really special privilege. Mm-hmm. You know, I I feel lucky every single time. I lately, when I sign on to my little Zoom class, I see people actually show up, and I'm like, wow, thanks. You know, like this is so great that people are here, and uh, it means a lot. It really helps.
1: Yeah. It seems like, you know, even at the opening, there's people who had either taken a class from you or sort of knew um of you through teaching as well as through your um, through your paintings. And um it's always such I mean, I, I can speak for me when when I um sort of have studied with someone or learned from someone and then um sort of see their work in action, it's always so inspiring and exciting to see that see that unfold um i'm wondering if you can talk a little bit so all the um all the pieces in the show um for the most part involve sort of these uh, we've talked a little bit at the beginning of this call about that but these sort of obscured figures using a variety of sort of strategies for that um for that approach i'm wondering if you can speak to the sort of the obscure <laughs> the obscured figure and yeah work.
2: well it it actually just started as sort of a little technical challenge I was curious about. Like, I wonder if you could paint somebody underwater or um, behind vinyl or glass. Like, is it, you know, I came out of a a, a school, the, the New York Academy, where at that time in particular, um, it was really all about figurative realism and creating a, a an illusion, you know, spatial reality, um, accuracy of anatomy and all of this convincing. And I was very attracted to that. And then when I finished, I was like, okay, now what? Um, and it seemed like a natural next move to like push it. And I kind of started by accident with it because I was like, I actually started with glass first and like reflection, not mirror reflection, but like reflection in glass.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And I was painting a figure walking away and there was a reflection of him in like a glass cabinet that was in the in the room. And I was like, oh yeah, that's never gonna work, but let me just try it. Like, it just seemed impossible. Like, why would that ever work? You know, I can't do that, but it worked. And I was like, oh wait, what if I take this a little further? And I was actually watching a movie where this woman was underwater and it was like a shot from above an aerial shot of her in a bathtub with her head underwater. And it was the most perfect image. And that kind of launched my whole idea of like bathrooms and bathtubs. And then kind of got my brain working and like, wait a second, now do you think I could be in water? That's that's crazy. And it was, it started slow. The water was still, it was clear. And I was just like, yeah, there's color change. That's the, probably the most significant thing. And the form breaks, you know, like the lines don't really connect. And I was like, that's interesting. And I took it like in little bite-sized pieces until the technical challenge was like, um, so, I don't know, complicated that you couldn't really replicate it. You'd have to interpret it and edit out a lot of information. And and pick and choose what you were going to include and and have like a kind of a different expectation and relationship to reality itself so that it didn't become what was necessary you would be okay with maybe i don't know what this is and like the more i could kind of toe that line the more excited i got because at the same time it allowed me to really loosen up my application so i could use more paint and i could show my strokes and i could Make these interesting marks that you can't really make when you're trying to render so tightly a, a realistic illusion, and then you step back and there's there's somebody there you know and so it, it's really fun I, I sometimes people get this and they're like, yeah there's like there's like a, a distance you can stand from the painting where you're right on the edge of abstraction and realism mm-hmm. and I think that is the coolest um Thing someone has ever said yeah. about my work yeah technically anyway
1: yeah and you know the most recent i think one of the most recent pieces in the show i am you is um i think distinctly the most yeah. abstract so it's yeah really interesting and fun to see you know this is that the joys of a retrospective where we get to see um all these works from different seasons of your practice yeah um, how that has continued to develop do you think you'll continue in that sort of continue to become more and more abstract as you continue to make i think that i think what i'm
2: gonna have to do is just explore every whim that comes into my like i've always done and see where it takes me um i do i am very attracted to abstract painting mm-hmm. like if i'm buying paintings a lot of times it's abstract art mm-hmm. um i like I don't know, Emma. I, I wish I knew. It's part of the reason I paint is because I can't wait to find out what happens.
0: Yeah. Uh,
2: but I can tell you that I have made an abstract painting, and I ended up putting a figure in it.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: so, I, actually, that kind of happens more and more. as I kind of end up putting a figure or a portrait in the abstract. But the IMU painting was really like a litmus test in a way. Like I. I was like, yeah, I, I thought it was a cool image. And it probably is the closest thing to completely abstract, maybe that I've ever done, maybe not. I don't know. But what I found interesting was the different interpretations again of that piece, where yeah, especially during the last few years and, and maybe right in the middle of lockdown painting was made. Um, there was this need for clarity. There was for absolutes and answers and, you know, something's wrong when nobody can tell us what is going on. And like, we, like we thought that they knew all along what was going on. Mm-hmm. They don't know, <laughs> like we don't know everything. So it was an interesting litmus test in that some people decided they could really see what it was.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: They were like, oh, I see exactly what it is. This is what it is. And I'm done with understanding it. I've got the answer. And then there were people who were frustrated because they didn't know what it was. And they were just like, they couldn't look at it. They didn't like it because they didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. And then there's a third person who was like, really comfortable with the unknown of it and enjoyed the like slight pull in a direction of, wait, I think I know what that is. Oh, wait, no, it's gone again. Um, And that kind of just hovering over that space of like, how much can we really be sure of what we see anyway? And, it, and like I said before, like there really is no fixed reality. You know, mm. I wish there was. Life would be a lot easier, but um, that that's just not available. Mm. So it, that's what that piece is kind of about. Um, yeah. And the title I just think is so, is a title I've been wanting to use for a while about this idea that we aren't, terribly different from each as we get over ourselves and realize that and also realize there is no me and there is no you Mm -hmm. um we can be a lot closer we can be a lot more creative and we can be we can solve a lot of problems and we can learn a lot of new and impressive and amazing things Mm -hmm. um I really kind of want to dissolve the space between the viewer and the subject Mm
1: -hmm.
0: yeah wow
1: well is there anything else you want to sort of share before we start to wrap up about the show or oh
2: Um, well I really want to say thank you to you uh this has been such an honor and you really did so much work to put all this together and I just feel so lucky and so beside myself in awe that um, yeah, that, that you did this for, for me and for the museum and for everybody. Um, I just feel so grateful. Thank Mm. you.
1: Yeah. The show, um, is up at the, uh, San Luis Obispo Museum of Art until uh, November 13th here on the central coast of California. So we hope you all can join us. Thanks, Alyssa.
2: Oh, my pleasure. Thank you.